Good morning, everyone. Yes, it's our annual dedication service for very next Sunday, which I'm looking forward to. Another little announcement too. Um, scripture teachers. Everybody goes, oh, no, no, I'm not one of them. We need them. Uh, there's going to be a number of classes around town that have 20, 15, 25 kids sitting there for half an hour to hear the gospel, to hear about the love of God and no one to be there to tell them. So, come talk to me. Because it's a massive opportunity, a wonderful ministry, and um, we don't want parents and kids to miss out. Now, today, I want to ask us, where do you fit? It's a bit of a reflective sermon today. I'm going to ask you to think through a few things. Starting off with, where do you fit in society? I don't know if it's just me, but sometimes I wonder, you know, drive down the road, especially certain roads, and you go, oh, look at all those fancy houses. Mine's not like that. Hmm. Or, you know, I, I see people who seem like they're really smart, and I go, oh, I wish I was like that. And then I go, yeah, but I'm not. I I work in in a place where everybody assumes I've got a degree, and I don't. And it's like, yeah, I'm the odd one out. But that's what I roll with that. Uh, Because, but it makes me question, should I? Do I need to go and do it? You know, where do I fit? We fit. It's a very hard thing to figure out. So I'm going to give it make it a little bit more tangible for you. One of the ways we can measure ourselves or figure out where or how we fit, on a line, between 1 to 100, would be to stop and think about another thing in our life that has numbers on it, which is money. So if we just put up some general classifications, if we're in the bottom 10% of society, we might consider ourselves poor, lower class might be up to 25%, middle through to 75%, upper, 75 to 90 well, over 90%, well, rich. It's just what I call them. Uh, and then there's the 99%. I'm going to call them the super rich. The top one percenters, you know, the ones that we all want to be like and in some ways. So, have a look, have a think, where are you on that line? Don't yell it out, just think. But do actually choose which group you fit into. Now, obviously, money is only one way of measuring ourselves. So don't think that this is boxing you in for life, but I do want us to think about it. So, has everybody got their box? They know where they're in? All right, good. Today, figuring out where we fit, another way of, um, of doing that would be to ask, about confidence. But before we get there, I want to just do my little insert a little bit so that we can remember the world around us. And by that, to, to help us out with that, I'm going to go to theglobalrichlist.com. Fun website. You put in your salary and it spits you back a number. and tells you whether you're the richest person in the world or not. So, I, I don't worry, I've done it for you. I'm um, Let's just imagine your annual income is $20,000. 
little bit over, but only just over the um, New Start allowance. You would be in the top 11.5% of the world. Yeah? Did anybody expect that one? No, no. Um, by the way, that $20,000 a year would pay the salary for a doc for 56 doctors in Kyrgyzstan. And I go, wow. That, that kind of messes with my head. And it should. And it should mess with yours too. However, not everybody is earning $20,000. So I've got another number for you and it's $70,000. What do you, where, what percentage do you think $70,000 would be? Six? Top six percent? Not bad. Not a bad guess. Top 0.6 or 0.4% in the world. 99.6%. Anybody else thinking, wow? Yeah. Now, like I said, money is not the only thing. And thankfully, we don't all live as slaves to money. But like I said, we're going to do a bit of a self-assessment today about our confidence. And as we do this, we're going to be looking into Philippians chapter 3. Now, here we have a book by, by Paul, or a letter, by Paul to the church in Philippi that had some challenges, had some struggles, but he specifically addresses this. And so we're going to essentially look at all of chapter 3. Um, we're going to start off in verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Um, confidence, a self-assessment. Paul tells us that he can be pretty confident if he's measuring himself against these things which were the normal ways people measured themselves in those days. Um, we're going to come back to those verses in a moment. Paul's self-confidence. Well, he was circumcised. He conformed. He did what everybody did to belong to that society. And he knew that. He knew that he was part of, he was a Jew. He was chosen. They, every good Jew knew that they were God's chosen people, which automatically made them better than everybody else in the world, according to their thinking. So that's a pretty good reason for them and for him to have this self-confidence. Because even though it's kind of this theological round trail to it actually being from God, no. The Jews messed it up. All, it, all they took away from it was it makes us better than everybody else, which is not at all what God was saying. But 
but Paul knew he was chosen. Paul knew he had a tribe, that he belonged, that he knew where he fitted. He was a Hebrew. And he says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's like, hey, you're looking for an example? It was me. It's my life. You know, I'm, I'm the model example of how people should live. But notice again, Paul starts off by saying, if this is his self-confidence and he knows it's devoid of Christ. He says, according to the law, I excel. I'm doing great in that, in that area. Zeal, passion, you know, because some people know stuff but don't do anything about it. He's saying, I know stuff and I do stuff about it because I go around persecuting those pesky Christians because they've got it all wrong. So Paul was passionate and confident, but it was all in himself. He says about his righteousness. Ah, oh, he excels. Sorry, got that bit. He knew that his life looked blameless to people. According to the law. So, that's Paul's self-assessment. What's yours? What's ours? We, we just did a bit about money, but it's not all about money. Our self-confidence. As a society, how do we measure each other? Education is one of them. We, we get a sense of where we fit according to our education, whether we finished high school or not, whether we have a degree or not, whether we have a trade or not, whether our parents did, because that automatically affects our lives as well. Not only the actual education, but also the skill, doing things. Can we fix the car or not? I don't know if it's a bloke thing or not, but if I can fix something, suddenly, you know, oh, I can fix it. While I was in the Solomon Islands, we, we, I got given, we had a door, but no door handle. We had a door handle and a key, and they did not match. We could go to the shop and buy a new one, but that was going to be really expensive, and I had some time. So, door handle came out, bolt, the barrel came out, and I spent a day figuring out, because I picked this whichever key I could find that was closest to it that wasn't being used, and inside a door lock is little tiny springs that are about that big and little pins, and you've got to line up the right pin and the right spring and put it in the slot and then the next one for the next little lump on your key. And this I spent a day doing. It would have only taken me an hour if I'd realised at the start of the day that the back of the barrel slid off so you could organise it. Instead, I'm trying to push them all in from the top. But... I figured out how to rekey a lock. Not with Google, not with YouTube, just by a lock and a key and having a go. So that gives me this confidence. I've got that skill. Therefore, any, anybody who's got locks, just... No. <laughs> I'm not a locksmith. But, that, you know, that puffs us up. It puffs me up. Position. Who likes to measure... that? We, we all, you know, if we've been in the same job for a little while and... You know, then there might be the opportunity to lead others and a bit of a pay rise. And, you know, suddenly, you know, I'm a leader. Or, you know, whatever the 
whatever the opportunity, we do measure ourselves by our positions. Because obviously people in the biggest, highest positions must be the smartest, bestest and greatest people around, aren't they? If we say it like that, we stop and we put ourselves back in our place, but still some of us think about it like that. Our dollars, do we own our home or not? Is our home the nicest one on the street or the worst one? We forget as we drive down the street and go, oh, I wish mine was like that, and I wish mine was like that, and I wish mine was like that, that actually the bank owns most of all of them. Because our, our silly debt culture that says, huh, don't worry about what you can actually afford, just make yourself look good and let the bank deal with it later. Has income, is my income more than it was this year, more than it was five years ago? Because that's another way we measure are we doing well at life. Our self-confidence about our body. Our health. You know, I, I've always had good guts. If, if there's a meal and people, some people aren't sure about it, chances are I can eat it and I won't get sick. That gives me a self-confidence. It's gotten me in trouble at times, but generally it's pretty good. But not just our health. Our fitness. You know, some people have this confidence because they're fit or because they go to the gym. Our appearance. There's a multi-billion dollar industry around people's appearance. White people want to look darker. Dark people want to look lighter. Seriously, cosmetics, look into it. People, that's what essentially the rest, most of the world thinks. Um, do I, can I rock that outfit or not? It gives us, it, and it does affect our self-confidence. Relationships. Marriage. If your marriage is in a healthy state, it gives you a self-confidence. If things are not in a healthy state at the moment, it does not. It can really rock your world. What about family? If your brother and sister are fighting and aren't talking to each other, Sometimes it's actually got nothing to do with you, but it rocks your confidence because, you know, you got a Christmas time and how's that going to work? Ooh. Um, um, anybody else? Just me, maybe. Friends? I've got lots of friends. Oh, I'm moving to a new town. I know no one. Oh, this is going to be terrible. Self-confidence? It gets rocked. And Society? This is our last one on our self-confidence measures. We have these ideals about society, like Australian society is the lucky country. Isn't it? Is it? Part of us still wants to believe it, at least, and so that gives us a self-confidence. Our government. Have you ever watched the international news and looked at the country that's got that dictator that's doing that thing and all these people are protesting and dying and all this sort of thing and you go, oh, wow, that's terrible? I know a lot of people love to hate our politicians, but we kind of like the fact we live in a democracy, right? That gives us a confidence. Our laws. Now, a lot of people, that's been rocked in recent years. A lot of Christians, that's been rocked because we like to tell ourselves that our laws reflect our godly 
our Christian heritage. And then we look at some of them and realize, oh, hang on. They don't because government doesn't automatically equal Christian culture. They are different. Medicare. Anybody's confidence in the fact that, hey, if I get sick, there'll be a way out? Lucky last. Sport. Now, some of you, like me, had the privilege of growing up with Tubby Taylor as, well, first of all, Tubby Taylor, then Mark and Steve Waugh, Adam Gilchrist, Ricky Ponting, Michael Slater, this era. Anybody remembering? Yeah, yeah. So, essentially, we knew that Australia would be on top of the world, or at least in the top two, pretty much for about a decade. And that was good. That was, like, we knew we were good. This was our game. We didn't go so well at some of the other games. But cricket was our game and we were, we were good. Um, but then, a little while later, like about ten years later, a little thing happened where a few guys got banned for like a year because they were cheating. And then you realise they were the leaders of the Australian cricket team. And you go, oh, hang on. It's not that they'd started losing sometimes or whatever. That didn't rock my confidence, but it was, cricket's like the gentleman's game. It's like, we're good at this. We know how to play, and at the very least, we play with respect and honour. Like, it was the one sport that I thought people still had a bit of, yeah, they might dig each other with some, with some uh, back chat on the pitch, but I thought, and then I go, well, hang on. Confidence there? Mm-hmm. Rugby, it's a great game as a sport, but my confidence in that has been shocked too. And so all of these things on this list you can look at and realise that none of them are as secure as we want them to be. Now, I'm not saying that they're they're all bad things, not at all. Obviously, a lot of them are God-ordained. God has given us the ability to have houses where we live and relationships and marriage is absolutely a godly thing and if yours isn't where it needs to be, work with God, get it where it needs to be. But at the same time, your confidence can't be in the fact that it's healthy. Our confidence has to be somewhere else. Paul also said his confidence had to be somewhere else too. So we're going to get... Head all the way back to verse 7, I think we're up to. There we go. Paul. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the share in his sufferings and become becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead.
Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider what I have made, that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what is ahead, what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have already told you about and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly and their glory is their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. You can hear in there... A snippet of Paul's heart and a reason for confidence. A reason that life doesn't have to be dependent on these things. And so we're going to consider them. How can we grow in our confidence? Well, verse 8, Paul says, think less of these other reasons. In fact, he calls them, it looks like refuse up there, but it says refuse. Rubbish, refuse would be the nice translation of the Greek word that Paul used. In actual terms, he used a much more vulgar word to describe the bodily excretions of, that we don't want to know anything about. And he, this is, you know, a house, a job, becoming a boss that he's describing with this term because he counts them as rubbish compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ. That's a pretty vivid challenge to us because for those of you like me who've been a Christian for a long time, my faith is important to me, but I still get influenced by society and, you know, I want to be able to achieve and I want to be able to provide well for my family and, you know, and I listen to the voices that society tell me are the ways that I need to do these things. But maybe I'm alone in that. Verse 9, Paul says that I be found in him. Found in him. A righteousness which is by faith in God. 
Those two words, in him, is a really interesting Bible study. Spend 20 minutes in Colossians chapter 1 and chapter 2. and Have a read. Find out all the times that it says in him and then read about it, about why it says in him. They are reasons to give us a self a confidence, but not a self-confidence, a confidence in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's amazing what God has done so that you and I can be in him. And what the richness of being, having a new life in him, means for us. Verse 10. Talks about aims. My aim, that I might attain, that I might get the knowledge of him, that I might be in him, that I might receive the power and understanding of the power of his resurrection. Then he says another one that's even more confronting, you know, because the power of his resurrection, what did Jesus accomplish with his resurrection? Kind of a big thing, you know. Healing, salvation, uh, a whole bunch of our lives that we just take for granted. And then he says this other one, and that he's aiming to achieve, aiming to understand the fellowship of his sufferings. Oh, oh, that's that's kind of confronting because who who whose aim in life is to suffer? Anyone? No? And Paul wasn't saying, I want to suffer either. But he was not averse to the suffering. We run and hide from it like it's whatever it is. But we, and you know, our few, we've messed a, thing, a few things up where we say that anything bad that's possibly happening must be completely from, must be because we've lived a wrong life or whatever. Whereas Paul says, well, the suffering, eh, if it happens, it happens. But I want to know the fellowship, the unity, the joy of the bonding with Christ, knowing that whether suffering comes or not, he is my passion and my power and my confidence. It talks about attaining to the resurrection. Then in verse 12, 13 and 14, we have this great uh, triplet of verses where Paul challenges us by telling us about his aim and focus. He says, I haven't already achieved it, but I press on. I press on. Pressing on actually means hard work. It doesn't just mean you know dawdling down the road. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Or another translation puts it, I want to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken a hold of me. And, and here's a you know, self-assessment. Why did God choose you? Why didn't uh, some of us have siblings that aren't Christian or that aren't walking with God? Why you and not them? 
because it tells us that you're chosen by God, but that not everybody is. So why did God choose you and not your neighbour? Why did you grow up with Christian parents, if that's what happened for you, and not the family down the street or the ones that you went to school with? We can come up with some sort of general theological answer on it, but a better challenge and a better question is to actually stop and just take five, ten minutes with God one day and say, God, why'd you choose me? And listen, because he will tell you. It says his sheep will know his voice. It's not just that he chose you so that you could go to heaven. That's part of it, but it's a very incomplete answer. God's actually chosen you for a reason right now, a reason here on earth. Forgetting the past, we read in verse 13. Now, our pasts can be both a positive and a negative influence. Some of us have all sorts of things in our past that we want gone, whether they're times of really bad decisions, whether they're um, life experiences that were inflicted upon us, whether they are things that we just want to move forward from. Well, Paul says, hey, I'm moving forward. It is possible in Jesus to move forward. That's a great promise. It's also a challenge, too, because I don't know about you, but at times I have relied on what God has done in my life in the past. You know, from the age of about 13 through to 16 or 18, I I was having awesome devotions with God. We've got to just, you know, speak heaps into my life. And so the Bible that I was using at that time has scribbles here and highlights there and it's got stuff everywhere. And eventually, I got to a point of realizing I actually had to stop using it. Because I'd stopped wanting, stopped focusing on what God wanted to say and speak to me now and realizing the truth he was of his word afresh. And I'd, you know, I'd see my notes and go, oh, yeah, that's right and rely on that past revelation. You know, I can I would there'd be times that I could go, yeah, you know, I was I had this position at school or I achieved this. Like I love telling kids at high school that I got to sing with Kylie Minogue. And I did. It's true. It's not a lie. The fact that there were two thousand others of us in the choir is beside the point. But I got to sing with Kylie Minogue. But if I go if that's my credential for an audition for the music team, and then they hear me sing, I'll be out the door pretty quickly. (laughs) Because I can't rely on past experience, can I? So, Paul says, forget what is behind. Press on to what is ahead. Straining forward to what lies ahead. Pressing on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. It kind of relates to one of the earlier points as well. About pressing on. Going somewhere. 
just want us to imagine here. I don't know what your game is, but pick pick something. Maybe maybe soccer, maybe football. Can you imagine if there was no goal at the end? What's the point of running in for a strong tackle if the guy's got nowhere to get the ball to if there's no try line? You'd go, nah, I can't be bothered. I'm going to save my muscles. Some Christians live like that, though. They live like they're just waiting for the full-time whistle without trying to achieve something in the game. Whereas Paul talks about pressing on to get somewhere. I've got a goal so that then I can win the prize. The prize is not just what he's trying to get. Footy players don't run around the field chasing after the trophy. They have to get the score to be able to win the prize. They have to get the goal to be able to win the prize. Runners in a race aren't following the little rabbit around it unless they're a dog. <laughs> they're getting to the end, whatever the, whatever the goal is that they need to achieve, and then, if they're successful, one of them gets a prize. You and I aren't running around aimlessly. We're not called to just hang around here on earth for a little while till I blow the full-time whistle on you and then we'll, then we'll deal with it. We've actually got a name. Prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus is a wonderful thing. And then we have verse 17 to 21, and even for chapter 1 as well. Join me in imitating me. Join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example of you have enough. By nature, we don't do that. By nature, we look around at the ones who have the nicest car and we want to imitate them. Or we, our, our habit is to see the ones that we think have the most power and imitate them or are the most whatever it is. Paul puts it differently. He says, hey, I'm following after Christ. Look for people like me. Follow them. If there's something in someone's life that you know you need to learn from or that God is calling you to grow more in, find someone and copy them. You don't know how to be generous? Find a generous person and study them. Ask them difficult questions like, yeah, but if you give your money away, how does, what will happen to your food? And they'll tell you testimonies about times when well, they've kind of done that and God kind of answered in some way or another because God does that. God is faithful. If it's diligence, don't just say, oh, yeah, I should have been on time more when I go to meetings. Find diligent people and look at their life and copy them. Whatever the godly character is that we need to be imitating. Other people have their minds set on earthly things. Down in verse 19. And Paul kind of says, nah, it's, it's just not worth it. 
Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame. And they glory in their shame. Whoa, that's a bit of a rebuke. But do we actually put that into our context of the people that, so that to make sure we're not being like them? In verse 20, we have this glorious, glorious promise. But our citizenship is in heaven. Some of you, like me, have grown up in the country of your citizenship and never known anything different. Find somebody who hasn't and talk to them. Ask them about gaining citizenship or even permanent residency in another country. Ask them what it meant. Because there's a lot of people who pay a lot of money, go through all sorts of hoops, jumps and otherwise, because a citizenship in a country means something. The fact that you and I don't really belong here, whatever country our citizenship is for, is important. Our home, our right to belong, is in heaven. Where we're given the rights of citizens. You know, we read in the example of Paul where he was thrown in jail and and beaten up. And then he says, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen. And suddenly the, the guys are like, whoa, hang on, what have I done? What have I done? Oh, please don't, don't get me killed. Because citizenship means something. And Paul knew it. And so when he says our citizenship is in heaven, that means something. That is a reason for confidence. That is a big reason for confidence. And from there we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21 might seem like a normal, you know, ho-hum verse there, but I want us to see something big in there that's one of the biggest points of today. Who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by... Uh, sorry, not by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. If we go back to our self-confidence list, you know, and we think of my education or my position or my money or my house or my this or my that or my that or my this, it's all about me. Here we see that it's not about you. It is in him. He will transform us to be like him. He will has the power that enables him to do the work. Your confidence can't be in your own strength. And we know that as a, like a theoretical, and yet we still have a confidence that if I go to church more, God will love me more. Or if I pray more, God will love me more. Or God will, if I do this right, then this good thing will happen to me. But no. The confidence that we can have is that we know a good God. Our citizenship is in heaven and he is at work in our lives and will work. Yes, we need to partner with him. We need to do our bit. But that's not our confidence. At all. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy 
and crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm. We're called to stand firm as we chase after a goal, as we press forward, as we know that our citizenship is in heaven. These are reasons for self-confidence. I'm going to finish with some reflection questions for us. Do I belong to Jesus? It's all well and good for me to say you don't, confidence in yourself doesn't work, but unless you know that there's a real answer that does, you're going to be left empty. And I can tell you there is a real answer. It's not a confidence in yourself, it is a confidence in the life that Christ offers because of his death and resurrection. To conquer our sin, to pay the price that we deserve. And so if you're not sure if you belong to Jesus, that's something you need to sort out. And you need to sort it out soon because it's urgent. It's massive and it's important. But it's also an opportunity in front of you. So come and talk to me afterwards, talk to one of the pastors or leaders, the person you came with, and say, hey, I need to know more about belonging to Jesus. I said earlier on, why did Jesus choose me? Why did he take a hold of me? Because Paul's pressing on to take a hold of the reason for which he was chosen. Paul says, I'm running around, not waiting, not just waiting for a full-time whistle. I'm running around with a goal. And so it's an interesting question to ask God, why did you want me? What is it that is behind that you need to forget? Good or bad? shouldn't be taking our focus away from where we're going with God. Where we're going with God is good. It will achieve things. It will do the purpose for which we were chosen. But we can't be hampered by what is behind. And finally, what does my schedule show that I'm reaching What does my day or my week look like in terms of my goals? Because, you know, we can say we're chasing after certain things or we're trying to achieve things, but until they make it into our diary or calendar, we're not really doing them. These aren't things that I have worked out perfectly. These are reflection questions and challenges for me as well. But I hope... Philippians 3 can bring a challenge as well as an encouragement, a, an opportunity in front of you to question whether you do have confidence and in what. Because there is a reason for confidence, but you ain't it. I ain't it. The church that you go to isn't it. The community that you live in isn't it. The, the, account, the dollars in your account isn't it. But there is a greater, eternal, unshakable reason for which we can have confidence in life.
as the band comes. Lord, we thank you for what you've done in Paul's life, in his example of a man sold out and passionate for you. A man who knew he had a reason to be confident. Help us to glean a little from his life today, from your word. To give us an assurance of who you are, of what you're doing in our lives, even when we don't feel like our lives look like we want them to. Help us reprioritize things that need to be reprioritized. Help us take our eyes off the world and the things of the world that so easily distract us. Lord, we thank you that you have given us a reason for the hope, the confidence that we can have in you. We pray that you will help us to live a life based on that confidence in you.